False advertising claims have changed over the course of recent decades as the means by which companies can advertise have evolved. Additionally, how and where false advertising cases are tried has also changed over time. In recent years, more cases are being heard by the International Trade Commission, or the ITC. Finnegan partners Marisa Frederick and Naresh Kilaru join us now to share their insights into these developments. Marisa, in the 1970s and 80s, the ITC tried a significant number of false advertising claims. However, there was then a drop in such cases until a couple of years ago. Can you share insight into what led to the drop? The removal of the injury requirement led to an increase in patent cases at the ITC. So this had the opposite effect of lightly decreasing the number of non-patent cases, in particular false advertising cases at the ITC. So as background, in the 1970s and 1980s, to bring an action at the ITC, the complainant had to show that the importation of the foreign good had the effect or the tendency to destroy or substantially injure an industry in the United States. In 1984, Congress removed that injury requirement for ITC investigations involving an assertion of a federally registered IP right. So, for example, a patent or a federally registered trademark. The reason they removed that requirement is it was found that to prove injury had the effect of discouraging companies from coming to the ITC to bring their lawsuits. And they also found that the legal cost associated with proving injury was quite high. So by removing the injury requirement from the ITC for holders of a federally registered IP right, the goal essentially was to encourage the use of the ITC. And it did. The number of ITC cases involving patents specifically increased after 1984. And the ITC became known as a patent forum. The injury requirement, though, still remained for other unfair acts, such as trade secret misappropriation, false advertising, and common law trademarks. So removing the injury requirement in 1984 encouraged patent cases at the ITC while also discouraging the filing of false advertising cases. Marisa, why has the ITC become a more favorable venue for false advertising claims in recent years? Probably for the same reasons why patent cases are a favorable venue for litigation. And mainly it boils down, I think, to two reasons, the speed and the really powerful remedy that the ITC provides. So let's talk first about speed. So ITC cases move very quickly. They're usually completed within 14 to 16 months. And false advertising cases are completed even faster than that because some of the technical issues and requirements that come up in patent cases aren't relevant in false advertising cases. So they can move very fast, and that puts the complainant definitely at uh, advantage um, when having to pressure the respondent, for example, during discovery. With respect to remedy, exclusion orders or injunctions are automatic, except in only very rare instances where there's a public interest concern. So this exclusion order will prevent the respondent from importing 
the good that's the product of the unfair act, in this case, the false advertising claim, from importing that good in the U.S. And as you can imagine, that would have very severe effects on the respondent's U.S. market share. So there's another type of exclusion order that the ITC gets that's also almost more powerful than the limited exclusion order, which is the one I just discussed. And the general exclusion order allows the ITC to direct customs to exclude all products regardless of the source. And what that means is that even if a company is not a named respondent in the investigation, their product could also be excluded if it's found to be in violation of the ITC statute. So all these features, I think, make the ITC a very favorable venue for false advertising. I think that in recent years, we're seeing more cases being filed because there have been some pretty high-profile non-patent cases that have been filed in the ITC. For example, in 2014, Converse sued over 20 companies in the ITC over their trade dress in the Converse shoe. And that was a very highly publicized case, and it probably triggered a lot of companies' interest in the ITC. And since 2014, there have been almost 10 investigations that were filed involving or including false advertising claims. And I should also mention that there are some other really well-known companies that have used the ITC to litigate non-patent cases, such as Louis Vuitton, Yeti Cooler, Red Bull, Philip Morris. So it's becoming more well-known, I think, because more people are looking to the favorable aspects of the ITC as a potential place to litigate false advertising claims. Naresh, there have been two interesting false advertising cases filed in the ITC recently. Tell us more about them. Of the 10 cases that Marisa just mentioned that were filed recently, you know, a number of these cases really involved false claims about medical devices or drugs that have been FDA approved. And I'll just talk about two of these cases. You know, one case, which was filed by Millennium Dental Technologies, involved a periodontal laser device, which Millennium said was the only device approved by the FDA for regenerating periodontal tissue. Millennium had gone through all of the clinical trials and had invested quite a bit of resources into getting FDA approval, and, and so it was understandably upset when it had discovered that another company was claiming that its device could also regenerate periodontal tissue. The respondent's device was manufactured in Slovenia, and, and the respondent had made claims that its device was comparable to Millennium. So, so that was the basis of the false advertising claim. The other case involved a potassium chloride product for treating potassium deficiency. The, the complainants in that case had the only FDA-approved potassium chloride powder product on the market, and the allegation was that the respondents were manufacturing a competing product in Canada and distributing it in the U.S. and falsely claiming that it was an FDA-approved product. And, and to avoid scrutiny, the respondents were also misrepresenting the product as a dietary supplement to U.S. Customs. This case actually settled fairly quickly after it was filed. The common thread in both these cases, and I think one of the reasons you're seeing more and more of these types of cases in recent years is, is really the widespread availability of medical devices and pharmaceutical products online, which you know is really an unregulated space. Companies are trying to leverage 
leverage the internet to make false claims and boost sales while hoping to avoid detection, but the ITC offers extremely effective remedies against this, as Marisa was just mentioning. So I had one comment to add, and that is there's been a recent challenge to whether or not the ITC can actually adjudicate claims involving false advertising related to drugs or dietary supplements. And the case where this sort of came to light involved omega-3 products, and it was brought by a company by the name of Ameren. So Ameren alleged that a number of companies who were importing omega-3 products were labeled as dietary supplements, but they had not received approval from the FDA to market their products as dietary supplements. So Ameren filed a complaint in the ITC, and the ITC declined to institute an investigation based on that complaint. So what the ITC does when it receives a complaint is it reviews it to make sure that it contains all the information necessary to justify instituting an investigation. So, for example, it looked to see if the complainant had alleged a domestic industry sufficient under sort of ITC law. And in this case, they decided not to institute an investigation. And Marin has appealed that denial to the Federal Circuit, and the Federal Circuit is currently reviewing that appeal. And an oral argument on that case was heard in June. And so hopefully there will be a decision I issue soon to give some guidance in that area. And finally, Marisa, if a company is considering bringing a claim to the ITC, what factors should they think about to determine if it's a viable forum for them? There are a number of factors to consider when a company is considering bringing a claim at the ITC. Probably the most important factor is a jurisdictional one. So not every dispute, even all patent disputes, lend themselves to be litigated at the ITC because one requirement that distinguishes ITC cases from cases taking place in the district court is that the complainant must prove the existence of a domestic industry. So this showing requires a complainant to correlate its expenditures that are made in the U.S. with activities taking place in the U.S., such as labor, plants, and equipment, and research and development. And the domestic industry requirement is not generally met by a showing of your sales and marketing expenditures. And for patent cases specifically, the complainant also must show that the economic activities in the U.S. relate to the patent being asserted. Now, for a non-statutory IP case like false advertising cases, the domestic industry showing is a bit different. The complainant has to show that the False Advertising Act threatens to destroy or substantially injure a domestic industry. And the domestic industry in this situation is an industry that is a target of the unfair act or practice. And for false advertising claims, as I mentioned previously, there's also a requirement that the imported goods cause injury or have a substantial likelihood to cause injury to the domestic industry. And that's typically shown through loss of market share or loss sales. So another factor that I think is really important for a complainant to consider is the level of preparation that's needed for an ITC case. Given the detailed pleading requirements for complaints, a substantial amount of preparation has to be done prior to the investigation even beginning by the complainant. 
and as I mentioned, um, ITC cases move very quickly once the investigation is instituted, and the judge expects counsel for the parties to be prepared, especially the complainant. So due to the speed of the ITC, a complainant should really carefully prepare their case before filing the complaint. Another factor I'll just touch on is the fact that there's no jury in ITC cases. ITC cases are bench trials. So there are occasions when jury trials are probably better suited for one's case than a judge trial would be. So for example, if you think you would like to present your case in sort of a sympathetic way and tell a good story, juries are often more moved by that than a judge who's more interested in sort of seeing the hard evidence. So these are just some of the factors to consider when bringing an ITC case. Our guests have been Marisa Frederick and Naresh Kilaru, partners at Finnegan, one of the largest IP law firms in the world. For more commentary on intellectual property news and issues, to listen to other podcasts, and to receive additional information on the firm, please visit www.finnegan.com. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Finnegan.